Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. TCO Performance Center following the last practice of minicamp. Now school is out for the summer, Zolgad, and we wait for training camp. What is up, man? I hope you all have a great summer. Just like the players, like Kevin O'Connell said, I hope everybody out there really enjoys the next six weeks because after that, it's going to be time to get down to work. <laughs> it is It is unique for us here i mean it has been quite a while in my life since i've covered a new coach and the same for you right with the football coach at least the other teams do change coaches relatively often but at least from my perspective i left buffalo in 2015 i think that was year two or 2016 so that was going into year two of rex ryan rex ryan is the last time i've covered a new head coach and it's all kind of interesting to me because there's no scar tissue built up with the players or with us so it's like you know the the head coach previously in Mike Zimmer he would come out after a year whatever six or seven and be like yeah I know what you guys are gonna ask about this or that or whatever and you guys think this and you're wrong and and now so uh we have Kevin O'Connell like you said saying have a nice summer guys and we'll see you later thanks for coming uh, out right thanks for coming out (laughs) appreciate you guys being here and well I do think that O'Connell is a much more cordial person Uh, I also know the rigors of the NFL season will wear this man down like everybody else. But I wanted to ask you, I just thought it was appropriate timing, of how much your buy-in. Because you are a skeptical human being, and I know you are, and uh, I sometimes uh, can lean that direction myself of all this. But, you know, I also think that there was something that stuck out to me today that I think this team is doing that's very smart. And it's not taking the players to Top Golf. That's totally fine. And I'm sure they had a great time. Mm-hmm. But it's actually that Patrick Peterson said his body feels better than it usually does by the end of minicamp. And I think that's true. I think that Mike Zimmer, and I know from watching, had them playing much harder in these practices than Kevin O'Connell to where I've tried to do takeaways from practices. And I can't really give you a whole lot because they're not really pushing it. I think that's actually smart. And I think they'll handle training camp smarter. And from the sports science side, I think they'll handle injuries smarter. And if you look at the Rams, one of their like low-key edges is that they've had players be healthy over the last few years. So I do think that there are areas of this where I roll my eyes just like you do and say, okay, Kevin, you don't know what's coming for you, buddy. This is your first time being a head coach. But I also think that being smarter in a lot of areas, there are edges to be had. I definitely agree. And I think part of the thing here, too, is this. And I, I mean, this is going to sound 
slightly cliche, but it's not. You know, when we were here for training camp last year, there was literally a heaviness, an air. Yep. It was miserable. I mean, Mike, you know, and he wasn't wrong, but I he, he had a lot of star players that weren't vaxxed. He, he knew that that was going to be a problem, and eventually it was. Um, Mike was also, and this this will happen to O'Connell eventually, probably. He was also at the end of his shelf life as the coach here. Like, it just that's the way, unless your name is like Bill Belichick, that's the way things work. So am I buying this? I'm buying a lot of what they're doing as far as being different, as far as being smart. And remember, too, this building used to have a lot of smart people who went to Mike and said, we could show you exactly why you shouldn't be practicing hard in December. And Mike's like, but I practice hard in December. And so those those folks eventually quit and left. Um, but I have been told, and I think this is the best like encapsulation, I've been told because I've told people who work in this building, boy, it feels different because it does. And every one of them says, well, yeah, Judd, that's true. But we haven't lost a game yet. <laughs> right, and, right, right. And that's coming internally. That's the right. call is in the house. So I would say that that is like you can turn change things a ton and you can be, you know, lighthearted and you can be more fun and player friendly. But the real question is this. What happens if you start? Owen too, because it's plausible it could happen and at that point in time can you say okay here's what we have to do or do you change and and we both have seen people change very quickly mm-hmm. yep. when things go wrong and the pressure is on them and the last thing too is O'Connell seems like a smart guy and he's certainly a more media savvy slash friendly guy than Mike was all of that being said we have no idea if he can coach we, right, we, we don't know right, that. right. We don't know. Uh, now, one thing that what he's I think done well is he has tried to protect himself with some I don't know facts or science or scientific methods of way of doing things. And what I mean is one of the biggest issues with Mike Zimmer. I don't think anybody would disagree with this. Is the clock management. Mm-hmm. One week he's going for it like crazy. The next week he's punting away. The timeouts was always a disaster. Kevin O'Connell brought in a guy who I think has some crazy background of really, really smart math guy or whatever it is, who is probably going to be in his ear every one of those moments helping him make those decisions. Somebody told me not too long ago that in Indianapolis, of course, Frank Reich always gets all the credit and all the blame for any of those decisions, but they have two analytics people who are on the headset that just say, yeah, we're going going for it here. And then Frank Reich says, we're going for it here. And that's what they do because he believes those guys know better than he does how to manage the clock, how to manage when to go for it on fourth down, that they are following the numbers. And, and he's not alone in that at all. Mm-hmm. In the NFL, the Baltimore Ravens have the same thing where John Harbaugh, I'm sure, has veto power of that because he's the head coach. But that's one of the biggest questions for me is how Kevin O'Connell – calls plays and then manages everything else but i also think that he's doing a smart thing by having that person be more in charge of that and being able to delegate so will now will he be able to delegate throughout the season as he's going to need to do but i i think that mike wanted everything on him he wanted and he talked about this with calling plays where he was like the reason i call defensive plays and not Andre Patterson or not George Edwards is because I don't want to be mad at them if it goes wrong. It's all on me. You're like, yeah, that's kind of crazy, though. 
Like, I mean, you can do it, but that's kind of crazy, though. Sure. To think of it that way. I think offensive coordinator and calling plays is a little different than that. Um, but I also thought that Mike just looked overwhelmed at times with his focuses on the defense during games. He lost track of game management. He lost track of what was going on on the offensive side at times. And I wondered when he would say, why don't we run more? It's like, Mike, were you watching the offense? Or are you just like saying something to say something? Right. And you were entirely focused on the defense. Well, and I, I think that's going to be the biggest thing with O'Connell that we will not know until they actually start to play regular season games is this. What you just brought up. And, and early on in my time covering this league, I don't think unless you watch it super close, and especially coaches, that you are that people understand what's on their plate on game day. And I'm not talking about practice plans. I'm not talking about game plans. Because, you know, in the, on the calm of a Tuesday when the players are off, right, you could put together the greatest scheme since, since Air Coriel. Um, but I'm talking about on Sundays when that ball is kicked off. On your belt, you, you've got basically a switch box that you can talk to the offense, the defense, and I believe, if I'm not mistaken, so in addition to to the in-game guy, which I do love, the in-game guy who's going to say, go for it, don't, I believe Mike Pettin is now going to tell him to challenge or not. But anyway, the point is, and this is where I think it's dicey and it takes time to call plays as well, Kevin O'Connell is going to be calling plays, which is a full-time job. Like, that's not a faint-of-heart job. I mean, that takes if things go, go wrong. I am I guarantee you within the first uh, two games, you will see times the Vikings come out defensively and O'Connell walks back to Kirk to talk to him and doesn't watch the game because that's just a fact. And this is where I think it's going to take some time for him to gain a comfort there because you're doing 12 things at once. And that's what I'm curious about. And look, would I guess that he's going to fail? No, I would not. But am I but I am am I certain week 1 September 11th Packers am I certain that it's going to be absolutely smooth? No, I don't know and the other thing too is and this and this is going to be a very interesting talking point too. So so Kirk we know for a fact for a long time has been the tell me what to do, I'll do it. I'll do it guy. I mean, he literally told us last year I'm not empowered to call timeouts. He's a quarterback. Um, Kevin O'Connell has to make it very clear to Kirk that we are basically partners in a law firm, O'Connell and cousins and sons, right? Because if Kirk is like, well, Kevin, I can't do it unless you tell me to, which until Kirk shows that he's not going to do, do that, I'm not gonna, going to dismiss. I'm just saying I'm not being pessimistic. I'm saying the reality is there is a ton of things that are going to probably take some time to smooth out. Do you think that Kirk Cousins is both like very coachable and weirdly uncoachable? Like, <laughs> I mean, that, that like he understands his offense extremely well. Yep. It's, it's very clear. And the thing that's impressive about Kirk Cousins when you watch him practice, and I don't mean today, it's yeah. hard to figure out what's even happening out there or what's supposed to be happening. But in training camp, for example, like when you watch a quarterback who's inexperienced, the Kellen Mond, for example, who threw a couple of picks today in practice when that's hard to do, actually. But uh, in these OTA practices, you're not wrong. And the defense had their day running it back for a finger quote touchdown, I guess. Uh, but uh, that's totally aside. But one thing that you see from Kirk is that he's so much in command of the offense. Like he 
gets everyone lined up. Somebody today lined up in the wrong spot. And it was just like, you over there, that's where you belong. Here we go. And when it's running on time, it's take the snap, take a couple of steps back, fire the football. And then somebody else goes in there, a Kyle Sloter or a uh, Danny Etling type. And you're like, okay, is it going to throw the ball? Is it going to happen? What's going on? You know what I mean? And so that tells me that the reason, one of the main reasons he is where he is and paid what he's paid is how great he is at mastering what he's told to do offensively. And at the same time, there's always been this, Kirk, can you just do a little more here? Can you just do this a little there? And and the way Kirk is, and this goes all the way back to when he was coming out of college, is Kirk is kind of an argumentative guy. Like he, even if you watch, this is crazy, but like watch his Gruden camp from way back in the day. And Gruden's like, why'd you fumble that ball? And Kirk's like, because the ball was wet and they wouldn't give me a, a you know fresh football or something. And it was like, Okay, I think what you're supposed to say there is like, that's on me, but that's not kind of who he is. So I really want to see this dynamic play out between a coach who has gone all in on the idea that we're, like you said, O'Connell and Cousins, it's us together. But even when I asked Kirk today about, hey, like, what's the communication as you're trying to learn, but also give feedback? And it was kind of like, yeah, I'm trying to tell him some things and I don't really know how that's going to work. You know what I mean? So it's not like we're designing this together. This is coach and player. And I wonder if some of the same pitfalls of coaching Kirk that other people have ran into still end up cropping up as we go along. This is really an intriguing discussion. And I don't, I don't want to turn this to a bashing Kirk discussion, but I know exactly what you're talking about. Kirk's done two press conferences since OTA started. And I will say this, there's no question that there's buy-in and he's worked working hard here. Okay. That being said, I feel like there's a next level of quarterback who would be like, yeah, we're doing this and we're doing that and I'm involved with this and I'm involved with that. And Kirk has spent two press conferences basically saying, yeah, it's great, but there's flaws as well. Like there's things. I mean, today he basically and in his defense, again, because I don't I don't want this to turn into a Kirk Cousins bashing, but he was asked about this. But that being said. The day O'Connell arrived, he gave us chapter and verse on how Justin Jefferson can be Cooper Cup. And what that does, right, is it draws the defensive look out. So, so the Rams knew like 90 out of 100 times exactly what that defense was going to do. Yep. Because as soon as Cup moved, they basically said, okay, there are the answers to the test pre-snap. Advantage offense. Kirk essentially told us that the defense the Vikings are going to run makes it incredibly difficult. And, of course, it's... It's a Fangio defense, so it's now widespread throughout the league. Makes it incredibly difficult pre-snap to tell things. Mm-hmm. So I guess my question is this. Is the Vikings defense going to be great? Because it, it sounds like it's going to be um, far superior to what we saw in 2021. But more importantly, like can the, can the motion, pre-snap motion of Justin Jefferson tell cousins the answers to the question or it's Cousins saying you know what i really still don't know yeah in which case i don't think o'connell would be like oh but that's fine like i think o'connell's whole thing is no pre-snap we're supposed to know right right so i'm confused yeah 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 no and here's the other thing too everybody is also doing this in the league yep. like lots of people know about this this is not new uh brandon staley's defense that came from vic fangio ranked 30th last year 
You know what it really comes down to oftentimes? Players, which I think that Kevin O'Connell and Patrick Peterson sort of indicated, uh, and maybe even Kirk too, of like, Kirk said Chicago has not done anything different on defense for years, and yet in 2018 they were unbelievable, and last year they were not at all good. Mm-hmm. And like, imagine that, that when they had all these amazing players, and then last year Khalil Mack's not playing, Akeem Hicks isn't playing in one of the games. Like, oh yeah, now they're not as good. The corners they had at Fangio's best were amazing. And this is where I have my doubts about this particular defense is because of the secondary in the corners. You might scheme. Now, you also have a tough time selling me that this is so much better than Mike Zimmer. It's scheming. I think it's a it's different, but it's not so much better. Zimmer is one of the best in the league at scheming. I totally believe he continued to be that. It's that Brashad Breland could not cover other human beings that your worst corner these last few years has been so horrendous that everyone just threw at them. Jeff Gladney two years ago, and then uh, Cam Dantzler at times two years ago in big situations. And then last year, it was just everyone threw at Breland constantly. So if Dantzler and Peterson are good, and Sullivan is kind of my guy that I'm like, uh, I don't know about this. Like Ch- Ch- Chan and Sullivan being yeah. a starter at nickel, because if there's one weak point, actually Mackenzie Alexander was pretty bad last year too. If there's one weak point, I don't care what you do. They have to cover people. And I think that Patrick Peterson kind of indicated that where he was like, yeah, it's a little easier. But at the same time, if you're on an island with a guy, you're one on one. There is no answer for that schematically that can help you. And that's where I would say there's concerns here still because they weren't able to go out and get big, expensive free agents to be their corners. And they didn't draft a corner in the first round. They drafted one in the second round. Who knows about his health? Who knows when he's going to play? But what you're saying on the offensive side, that's where, you know, with Kirk Cousins, a lot of different things have been tried. Mm -hmm. And it's always been this swinging back and forth of, well, let's take, let's put more on his plate. No, let's take it all off his plate. Like 2019 was, we are running Dalvin Cook every play. And then you hit a 60 yard pass and that's your only job. Um, it felt like the 90s with that, where it was just like the downfield passes. West Coast. So now we're leaning yeah. back more toward, let's give Kirk a little more to do, and how is that going to work, and how's everybody else going to master that? Because the benefit of laying it all out there for him is it's all out there for him. Like the, the receivers don't have to be on the same page with Kirk 100% of the time and who's reading this this way. And hey, remember in 2018 at the end of the year when Kirk was doing that thing on the sideline about how to run a route? Like freedom also comes along with responsibility, which is where it's going to be a lot on O'Connell to balance how much do you actually want to put on Kirk Cousins. But I think to your point, like the scheme stuff that they're doing, I think is modern. But it's not insane. It's not, oh my gosh, no one else has ever done this. The Los Angeles Rams had amazing players. And all of a sudden, their offense was great. The year before, they didn't have as amazing of players, including a quarterback. And their offense was average or below average. Like That's kind of how it goes a lot. Like Everyone knows all the chess moves at this point. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Because I, I think one thing that was a very apparent last season was this. The Vikings offensively did not very often, if ever, have the answers to the test pre-snap. Um, it's why <laughs> Justin Jefferson had, what, seven catches for like 110 yards in, in the first half in the home game against Detroit, and then the Lions just rolled a safety, yep. and, and all of the films guys were like, well, they rolled a safety. What are you going to do? It's like, this is 2021, folks. Um, I find the interesting thing here with Kirk, too, is, and look, O'Connell might be right. He might be wrong. But I do think that finally, aside from Bradbury, who does scare me a bit, um, I think we've removed the excuses. Yeah. So, yeah. like, you've got a line now. I like the tackles. I think the guards will hold up, which is more than I could say for last season. The center scares me, but the skill positions I absolutely love. Yeah. Yep. And, and so I do think you're going to be running a scheme where you've got high-end, high-octane talent, uh, which is going to be absolutely huge. Now, the question is, when you empower Kirk, and I am all for that. Like, they need to do yeah. that. Yeah. Empower Kirk. Lean into the Kirk. Lean into the Kirk. But can Kirk take that? We do not know. We don't know the answer to that question. Kevin O'Connell is basically saying, I played quarterback. I was not as I didn't have the God-given talent that you have, Kirk. I probably have a better brain. So I will be like the brain to your body, mm -hmm. and we'll see if that works. But you bring up a very intriguing point about Kirk, which is Kirk is the yeah, but guy. So instead of like instead of him, I think, telling Kevin O'Connell, you know, I'm I got talent. Like I got great arm. He's got great arm. Um but I'm not the smartest. Like, I can identify things, but I'm not the quickest guy. But you tell me what I should do. Yeah. yeah. He's more like, to me, the, yeah, but Kevin, shouldn't we do this guy? And so this is, go this is going to be, and, and look, I think this team wants to be vanilla and boring, which is good. Like, I think they're going to have a good group of guys who are going to be very nice, media, fan friendly. But. I think this is one of the most intriguing seasons for me because it's sort of like a Frankenstein experiment. <laughs> yeah, like I have yeah. no idea. Yeah. Do you? No. Like, well, I, offensively, hmm. I have no idea. I've got I've I've got a a leaning, a bias, but I'm willing to put that aside and say you are giving Kirk like this is it. Yeah. Let me let me go yes yes and no. Like do I know? Do I think I know? I think I know. Because I because I will just fundamentally always believe what Pat Shermer said. It's the players, not the plays. I will always come back to that. But that doesn't mean that the smallest parts can't end up mattering if certain things end up going right for them or if things end up going wrong for them. Like the year, last year, I remember bringing on Dave Campbell of the AP, our friend Dave, I was like, so what do you think of this team, old Dave? You're the you're the wise owl of the group. He's like, I don't know, eight or nine or nine and eight. And I was like, man, everyone thinks eight or nine or nine and eight. Like Dave's always right about stuff around here. And it's like, and, and then it becomes exactly that. It, it was like, even though we got there in a weird way, everybody knew from day one that it was eight or nine and nine and eight. Right. And then we got there. Whereas this year, I think that there is a world where things go wrong for them. Let's say like let's say new Orleans is better than we think. And like Washington is good and Miami's good and, and fields improves and you split with that. Like then all of a sudden your schedule is really hard and you end up winning like six or seven games. If you get a few injuries, which they can try as hard as they want to prevent. But if Zadarius Smith's back is not a hundred percent, then it's not a hundred percent. 
Um, they didn't you know, really improve the interior pass rush, which I think is important. They didn't vastly improve the secondary with rookies. Like, that doesn't do it, as we saw from a few years ago. You need to develop those players over years. At the same time, if you add percentage points to an offense, you go for it more on fourth down, you get the edges, you get a confident Kirk Cousins who extends his hot streak farther than a couple of weeks. Exactly. Like it's the margins are so small between being an eight win team and being a 10 to 11 win team. So I think I know, and I think I have a good feel for it, but how this morphs and grows and how we feel at the end of it, I think that's almost like, you know, on, on Madden, I do this. I know you're a huge gamer, Judd. Oh, love the game. Uh, on Madden, what I would always do is you buy the game. You simulate the first season so you could do the off season. Huh? It's kind of like I want to simulate to the end to kind of see where we're at. Because, because, <laughs> the entire, be nice. because really the entire future of this thing is going to pick a, a road we thought was going to happen this year, but it's pushed back one year, that they'll pick a road at the end of this year. We'll either think Kevin O'Connell is the genius of the future and he's going to be great and, wow, they've really nailed it at GM and head coach and we were wrong that they should have ripped it apart and look how smart they are, or we're going to go, told you so, and, and we're going to go, see, it wasn't the coach, it was the quarterback. Like It's going to be one of those or it's going to be, well, same old story and you guys don't know what to do again. And I think any of those roads is possible. So I think I've got them on, I want to say, eight wins right now. But that being said, what I find to be so intriguing about this entire thing is this. They have chosen a path that should be like 12 wins. Like like they've yeah. chosen yep. a path. They, they had a chance to tear down. They had a chance to make some moves, certainly some tweaks. And they said, no, 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 we are going to go all in again with a first-year coach and a quarterback who usually – finishes around 500 and sometimes makes the playoffs, but not much. And so like they have put immense pressure on themselves in year one, which I think is difficult to do. Like yeah, ordinarily yep. it's honeymoon time and O'Connell's here and he's much nicer. And now they're bringing in young players and they're looking for a quarterback. And isn't this going to be fun? Well, he's, he's being like that, which is awesome. And so it's crazy, but they have put on an internal pressure, which probably came from above them of we want to yeah. win now. And so that gets to be the question, but back to the defense too, because you're, you're exactly right about this. And this is where I am. This is where I, I want to see where this goes. If Zadarius Smith and Daniil Hunter can play 17 games, okay, everyone on that defense is going to be vastly improved because mm -hmm. they're going to cause havoc. I love the idea, and I never understood why after the 2019 playoff win against the Saints that Zimmer didn't do this more. When he moved Griffin and Hunter inside in that oh, game, sure, it was yeah. genius. It's the, it's one of the best coaching jobs he's done. Yep. Um, and I, I think it was the last great schematic game defensively that he had as, as coach of this team. If they can play and put pressure, and indeed Hunter is on a guard one play in the center of the next play, and I mean, it's going to cause absolute havoc. But the flip side to that is what last week, I believe, in the last OTA before this camp began, Smith didn't practice because he, quote unquote, slept wrong. <laughs> which which when you have a bad back and bad neck as yeah. as we know with Daniil a tweak uh, yeah that's the last thing that you want to do here and if those guys if one or both of those guys goes down yeah i mean the cornerbacks are probably screwed so like this is all it's very interesting that they're tying it into two guys who when they're healthy can be great but 
you know, in Smith's case, he, he missed almost the entirety of 2021 because of a back a back surgery, which yeah. is no small thing. And in the last two years, I believe Daniil's played six and a half games. Right. And you wonder about, like, I think there should be more confidence in Daniil playing, but that neck thing was two years ago. I agree. And you do wonder about that a little bit. And if Daniil has to carry the load himself, I think you're just asking a lot of one player on a defensive line. I, I just don't think that in any circumstance, but especially in the league where defensive linemen, there are D lines that have four or five guys who are really good. You can't just have one at pressuring the quarterback. Like I think Harrison Phillips and uh, Delvin Tomlinson can play, but I don't think either one of them is getting five to 10 sacks. I think those are guys who just kind of push the D line back or the offensive line back and then try to set up little lanes for blitzing and things like that. But they don't really have either blitzing linebackers. Like Anthony Barr was really good at football. Like you could debate whether he's paid the right amount or what his PFF grade says and this and that. He was a really good football player and he did a lot of things excellent. And now Kendricks is asked to do more. And Jordan Hicks is kind of just a guy who I think they're going to play less. So how does this all work? And it does take me back a little bit. We talked about you know when the last time I covered a coaching change was that Rex Ryan, the idea was when Rex Ryan came in and took over for Doug Marone, that he was going to take the defense to the next level. Now, our new buddy, Mike Pettin, could actually speak to this a little bit, that Pettin was the DC and then Jim Schwartz, and their defenses were great in, I think, 13 and 14. Then when Rex came in, he changed everything around. There were all sorts of new changes and new calls and everything else. And it took a while for that defense to get it. Yep. And that's part of this too, where, yep. like you said, like when you talk about the honeymoon period, if you're Brian Dable, when's the first time anyone's giving you a hard time? Even in New York, it's been so bad. Week seven, if you're not good, like it's gonna they're gonna give him the whole year like problem. Daniel Jones is a quarterback. Right, yeah, I was right. gonna say he he might have till twenty three. Does that did anyone criticize Robert Sala last year? Like no, no like yeah, because right. the, the it was in shambles. Yeah. But if you come in and you teach this new defense and they don't get it right away, and I mean like week three, they're they haven't gotten it yet. Even if it's better for the long term we're going to say whoa what is going on here you guys were supposed to win or you this this new defensive scheme was supposed to crush right away and even if the defense by week 14 has gotten it together and is playing pretty well yep there's really not that patience for them there's a lot of pressure for these guys to be there right away and there isn't a lot of players that they've really put their chips on developing and so I thought it was funny, like Mike Smith, the outside linebackers coach, love it. Uh, he said, like, hey, oh, I love the way that Patrick Jones gets off the D-line. I was like, if Patrick Jones plays, man. Like, like, I'd be surprised if Patrick Jones plays because if things go right in your ideal world, you're basically not developing anybody on this defense, yeah. which has been part of the issue for the last few years that we get here. It's like, oh, yeah, they drafted that guy a couple of years ago. Never seen him. Like, oh, does Chaz Surratt exist? Like, I mean, this is sort of something where they really have to be ultra competitive right away, or we're going to look around and go, you didn't even set yourself up for the future here. Right. Well, and, and on the flip side of the conversation, too, the offense, it's the same thing. Yeah. Like, yep. I mean, Kirk is still, they're still trying, they're still going fairly slow and trying to, and they, they can t talk about, yeah, well, we're going slow because of this or that, but. The reality is they're installing a completely new scheme and they are now going to go on a six week break. 
and they're going to hope that guys retain, which some people don't, yeah. uh, retain information, retain calls, and show up at training camp like set to go. Well, that's that's pie in the sky. That's a great thought. Hey, everyone's going to come back, and they're going to have studied their playbook, but that's simply not go- going to take place with a bunch of guys who are essentially in their early 20s. So you're now going to have you know opening day when you are, are trying to run plays. And keep in mind, too, practices now, I mean – Training camp practices are how short compared to to what oh, yeah. they used to be, and you're no not, more two a days. And in the three preseason games, you ain't gonna go run a bunch of schematics. Like you're not gonna put anything on film. I don't think they're playing anyone either. If they do it like the Rams, they won't play anyone. Okay, so September 11th against because we we can debate then. Well, but they're gonna do stuff, Judd. Right? Well, they they are gonna do some stuff, but it's gonna be more classroom probably. So September 11th against the Packers, you're going to basically be like, how much of this can we run? Um, and, and, you know, I, I saw, I think it was in the OTA last week, Jefferson was confused. He was like trying to line up at the right place and running around cause he's being asked to do a lot of things. Yeah. So yeah. like, you're right. All of these things are going to come down to teams now have limited practice time. They don't want to tip their, their hands. I mean, I think it, O'Connell told us a while back when fans are in the stands, I ain't going to be running a ton of stuff. Yeah. Yep. So, okay. So that's out. So now the question becomes, and this is where you need your quarterback to take control completely and say, Kevin, we can't run that play Mm -hmm. or to say, you got to be here. You got to be there at the risk of showing up teammates. And so there are a, a ton of questions, which all comes back to the most intriguing thing is they have applied this pressure. Right. I mean, so there's so many scenarios that can happen. And one that I thought of is, and I think that I do think that pros adapt pretty quickly to all this stuff. So the guys at this level, it's not like teaching freshmen in college to do it. Like they should be able to adjust schemes. They've changed offensive coordinators, like no excuses. But the scenario runs through my mind that they end up getting behind from the outset like they have when they've turned over the roster the last two years. That's something we really didn't discuss because we pointed the finger at Kirk and at Mike Zimmer, and they earned that. But a big part of the slow starts may have been like, oh, look, you're changing more guys on the offensive line again. You're changing more guys on the defense again. And lo and behold, you don't start the season very well. Oh, then a couple guys get hurt, and you're just a bad defense. Uh, So I think there is an adjustment period in the NFL when you make these overhauling changes. So if they were to get off to a slow start and have a similar trajectory as last year where they play better at the end, and let's say they get one of those wins that they didn't last year at the end and make the playoffs, then they're in this situation where they could go, oh, well, the second half of the season, see, that's the real us, and then we get back into this cycle again. So I think that that's the thing that's the most interesting to me is just all of the different outcomes that are possible that didn't feel possible under Zimmer. But then I also struggle a little bit, Judd, with this roster because the number of question marks, tell me if you agree with this or if you have some that I'm not thinking of, the number of question marks on players is very few. It's like, well, Amir Smithmar said anybody? Right. <laughs> I mean, right, like who, you know, who wants to talk about if Troy Dye will have to play? Right. I, there, everything's kind of set going into camp, which is going to make that day-to-day basis really about how are they getting it? How do they look? Do they look on a day-to-day basis? Like last year, it was just ugly to start training camp after the whole debacle with uh, Zimmer and Cousins. But 
I mean, if they look like that again, I think we're going to be saying, what's going on here? I mean, you really have to get it in camp. You have to look good because that's often an indicator of what's going to happen long term. I fully don't expect this offense to hit the ground opening day of camp looking good. I think it's going to be a slow uh, a slow work in progress, and that's the problem. But then the question becomes, on September 11th against the Packers, can you come out there and, you know, because – in theory, this should be the Rams offense, right? And sort of this high-flying machine, and it looks great. And fans, of course, are like, well, Kirk and Stafford, they're the same guy. And so he's just going to do everything that Stafford did. But, of course, the difference is Stafford, I think, has a higher upside and also doesn't care about risk, and Kirk hates risk. Right, right. And so, like, there's a lot of things about this, um, which is why I find it interesting that they didn't choose to sort of slow cook this thing and put less pressure on themselves, but they didn't. And are they going to make the playoffs? They certainly could. Yeah. The the Eagles made it. They stunk. Right. The Eagles made it. Um, but there's a difference between m- making the playoffs and making a coaching change and really a whole philosophy change here to where you feel that this team can contend for the long term and that it's not smoke and mirrors and that you are now a Super Bowl contender. And that's my question about how this is starting out. And like in year two, do you think that you're going to be improved again with Kirk? And now Kirk's your your guy for two more years after that? Right. Or are you set to hit the reset button again? There's just a lot of there's a lot of things I would actually like to ask the Wilfs as far as what because I think the I think it's on them. Like I think this goes above O'Connell and and uh, crazy. But I guess my question is this, like, what is your intention with the franchise? What do yep. you think it can do? Because I can't blame fans one bit. If they say we're really tired of barely sneaking the playoffs, right? Or, we're really tired of nine wins. Can you ever, can you ever consistently? And yes, they have certainly fallen short of a Super Bowl, but do what the Packers are doing. What three consecutive 13 and threes. Yep. Yep. Can you, can you achieve that? That's really hard. And I get all yeah. that, but I mean, this fan base deserves something more than it's getting, and that's where I'm curious. So I looked at this a while back. You won't be surprised by the result. How often teams repeated 12 win seasons and more? It's always Peyton Manning. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's it's always the great quarterbacks, and that's why we usually talk about that rookie quarterback contract and you're, you might have one shot or two shots. The way I started thinking about quarterbacks in the past – um, is the all-time greats will give you 10 shots to win a Super Bowl in their career. Sometimes it's over multiple teams like a Favre. But maybe you don't do it because Favre throws an interception or Aaron Rodgers or somebody blocks a punt in the playoffs. It's pretty random. It's one game. You're playing a great team. Right. It might snow. Um, you might have zero-degree weather and shank a kick. Who knows in the playoffs? But to win the Super Bowl, you usually have to be a 12-win team or better. So Peyton Manning gave his team... 10 shots, 12 shots at winning a Super Bowl. A really good quarterback, a Matt Ryan and Eli Manning, will give you five shots at winning a Super Bowl. So they'll play for 15 years, but only five of those, they were legit contenders. They'll dip up and down. And then I think the next level down for quarterbacks that play a long time in the league is you get maybe one shot. I think that's where Kirk Cousins is. I think that's where Matt Stafford is. Matt Stafford got one shot and one. Like, he had never had a season like that before. I think he had one 11-win season before that or something, but never really before. Too many ups and downs from him. Everything had to click. And so we've gotten so far here with Kirk where it's like, all right, this is kind of it. Like, this year, this is maybe the last try for you as the quarterback. And after that, you have your results. 
You have lots of different offensive coordinators. You got different head coaches. You got different cultures. You got different schemes. You're probably not getting another shot, or at least with the way that this whole thing is structured. Mm -hmm. If he had gone to the Rams last year or maybe whatever other great, great team, the Eagles in 2017, certainly Kirk could have done the same thing as Nick Foles did or Carson Wentz under those circumstances, but that's pretty rare. So you're looking for your first shot, though. Like your one, your one real shot. Maybe they had it in 2019, but they didn't. You know, they didn't. They won what nine games, ten games. Yeah, so they, yeah, they certainly have not been great. So they weren't, and they won no games that were important throughout that season. So it wasn't a good enough team. And then it they wasn't got their ass handed to them, right? By San Francisco. So it wasn't good enough. So you're really kind of down to the wire of is this is this your shot? Right. So I think, and and like you said, with ownership, they're so fickle that who knows. I think this should do all the telling like mm -hmm. is this is this the time that he's good enough to get you somewhere mm -hmm. and and o'connell's good enough to get you somewhere or isn't it and if it isn't then you draft a quarterback and like that's it that that should be the fork in the road but i also thought that last year and so, yeah, <laughs> so well, exactly know. and and you know keep in mind too this current staff just brought back and it, it's going to seem like a small thing, but to me it's not. Sean Mannion to be Kirk's backup because oh, yeah. Kirk, Kirk likes him. You betcha. Uh, so they're they're bending over backwards for Kirk. And they, they are, have no money. Yeah. That's but, I mean, also why. Yeah. That's also why. They're bending over backwards, though, to make Kirk as comfortable as possible. Here's my question about Kirk as well, too, and it, this actually goes to, to the O'Connell-Kirk relationship. You know, Stafford, and, and we've seen this before, Matthew Stafford, has no conscience at times, but McVeigh clearly turned him loose at times as well. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. and, and it's very apparent that if you throw a pick, you throw a pick, dude. I, I, I don't, you know, let's take the shot. What happens when O'Connell says that? And I'm not, I'm not saying that you encourage a pick, but I am saying that you say we need this pass, yeah. and it's a high-danger pass. You're walking a tightrope, baby. As Mike Zimmer tried to push Kirk Cousins to do. Right, but I think Mike told him to do it. Right. I think right, O'Connell right. will say, here's how you accomplish it. Right, right. And Kirk has to not say, yeah, but that's a risky, <laughs> right? <laughs> right. Like, there's so, much, there's so many interesting things at work here. Because I think Mike told Kirk, don't be afraid to take chances. I think O'Connell is going to show him film and say, here's where you need to force that ball in a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah. What happens? Yeah. Yeah, I think that I think that previous offensive coordinators probably tried the same, but they always knew that if he threw a pick, Mike could lose his mind. And it was yeah. like, I mean, with Zimmer, I, I remember they had the Atlanta game to go 1-5 in, in 2020. And Zimmer was like, yeah, sometimes uh, Kirk predetermines his read, and that's why he throws those picks. And it was like, okay. Like, wow, that is quite a thing to say in front of everybody. Yep. Um, sometimes I think that Zimmer forgot that everyone could hear him. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, sometimes I think that he thought we were just in one room, or in that case, on a Zoom, mm -hmm. and he was just talking to you and me mm -hmm. uh, at a bar. And like, wow, Mike, that wasn't what you wanted to say right there. Uh, but... Like that's going to be a thing right there of like, I think they've had everybody try to do this with him, but you never knew what Mike's reaction was going to be. So if you throw a 50 yard bomb and it's a pick, that should be fine. Cause it's kind of like a punt, right. but was Mike going to be pissed? Cause his defense had to go back on the field. Right. Like never really, Mike was so volatile that you never really knew And that game for us too. We would come out here some days expecting him to be so angry with us. And then he'd be like, fine. And then other times You'd be like, oh, you just got a big win yesterday. How you feeling? It was bite your head off. And I think that players dealt with the same thing. I don't think they'll deal with that uh, with O'Connell. Um, but, Judd, I wanted to wrap up on a completely different thing yeah. with the Vikings. Yeah. 
I wanted to ask you, I saw CBS Sports put out one of those clip compilations of mm-hmm. Chris Carter today. Mm-hmm. And I mean, my God, like the catches that Chris Carter made throughout his career. Here's what I want you to do. And I think this is actually a very hard exercise. Okay. I want you to rank for me your top five Minnesota Vikings wide receivers of all time. Oh, wow. Okay, that's pretty good. Uh, Moss is one. It's not even close. There's no debate. Change the game. He's one. Um, Chris Carter would be two. After that, I think it gets pretty it interesting. It does get. It does get. Um, I'm going to give you names. I, I don't know if this is how I would rank them. I grew up watching Rashad. Yeah. Rashad was fantastic. I liked Sammy White a lot, but I think Rashad is the dominant guy from that time period. Okay. Um, you know who else has to be at least in this conversation? Anthony Carter. Oh, of course. Yep. Came from from Michigan of the USFL back in the day, uh, signed by the Vikings. He definitely has to be in this conversation. Um, and after that, I am going to go. I'm not going to. I'm going to leave Jefferson off on purpose just because it's two, two years because right. he probably should be on this list. But, TBD. Yep. But it's no fun if I just like um, put him on the list. And I'm going to put uh, Stefan Diggs in that mix as well. Okay, so so I got Moss one, Chris Carter yeah. two. Um, you go on Rashad o- there, or do you go Anthony Carter? I think Anthony Carter. I'd probably, probably go An- and I'm just going talent here because off the top of my head, I don't know the stats. I'll go AC three. I have the stats in front of me. If you and have any AC questions. and and AC in that playoff run where, where they were bounced in the I believe it was the conference championship game yep. by Washington was unbelievable. Yep. He had a day, I think it was against, in the upset of San Francisco, where he just went off. And he's a marvelous player. I'd probably put him three. In fairness, I'd probably put Diggs four and Rashad because of the era five. But that's a very, very close one. So Sammy White is fifth all-time behind Chris Carter, Randy Moss, Anthony Carter, and Jake Reed, who is on the edge of this conversation, I think. Yeah. Because before Randy Moss gets there, Jake Reed is one of their dominant wide receivers. He's very good. One of the best in the league. But, I mean, I'm going off what I perceive to be talent, too. And Jake Reed was really reliable and really good. But I think think I just gave you five names of, like, extremely, extremely talented guys. Yeah, I think the only one, though, that statistically maybe doesn't quite match is Rashad over Sammy White. That Sammy White has better. That's my youthful. His yeah. yeah, but he caught the pass against the Browns right. to to win the division and at Met Stadium. Man, it's hard not to. And he did have great hands. Yeah. White was a great player too, though. That's absolutely true. Now here's one last question to wrap on because this is a sort of a leaning into a summer conversation about Vikings wide receivers. Had Percy Harvin remained healthy, Ooh. where would Percy Harvin have ended up on this list? Oh, my God. And remained uh, well-grounded. Yeah. Um, honestly, probably third. And here, But here's the thing about him. He would have as, as... So he would have actually been playing the game into a time that it, it evolved in a huge way. So beyond receiving stats just as a as a uh, to use a cliche swiss army knife player yeah he would have been magnificent like like the vikings have had so the vikings really before it became in, in vogue the vikings had percy who i mean could line up anywhere yep. and was a nightmare and if you go back to 98 david palmer 
not Percy, but yeah. still had this yeah. like like now he'd be used in a multitude of yeah. ways. But Percy Harvin would probably be third because my God, athletically talented wise, Matthew, w- what a joy to watch. That guy could play. I don't think anyone, even the trajectory Jefferson is on, will press Carter and Moss for the number one and number two. Even if Jefferson makes the Hall of Fame, it's hard to press those two guys. I mean, they're like top 10 receivers of all time. Moss doesn't get touched. Yeah. Moss doesn't. And it's like Carter goes almost underrated. Yep. Carter had 12,000 yards receiving. Sideline catches. Unbelievable. Toe taps before that that was like the standard thing, which now it's just like, you know, oh, yeah, toe tap. Chris Carter in total receptions almost doubles Randy Moss, yep. which is wild. I mean, he played from longer, yep. but... That just tells you about his dominance over his best years. But number three is absolutely feasible for Percy Harvin. And I think as far as most exciting players to ever play for the franchise, Randy Moss will always be number one. Yep. Adrian Peterson will probably be always number two. Harvin was could have been right there. I mean, was very briefly, but could have been right there for most exciting players to ever play for the franchise had he had a smooth ride. Marvelous player. Marvelous player. And I will say this. Thielen has been incredible, but I think in retrospect now, and and we did this all the time back then, and I feel now it's been separated more, but, you know, it became this thing of Thielen and Diggs, 1A and 1B. The more I've thought about that, and this is not to put, put Thielen down, but the more I've thought about that and watching Diggs and watching Diggs now especially – I don't think that was really fair. Like, I think Thielen is an incredibly solid player. Yeah, yeah. But I think this whole, yeah, they're 1A and 1B. I think Diggs was one. And, like, now with with J.J., there's no question he's one. Um, But I think we sold Diggs a little bit short, including me, by, like, talking about those two like it was the same player. Thielen for two years, I think, is one of the best receivers in the league. I don't know talent-wise that he's ever Diggs. I mean, right. we've seen what happens when you throw to Diggs all the time, which Diggs knew. And we used to look at the data, too. Remember that with, like, reception, perception, Matt Harmon's thing? Hopefully I'll get him on soon. He's going to publish some more of his data on Justin Jefferson. We usually get together. His numbers on Diggs always said, my gosh, everyone, why are they not throwing it to Diggs more? And Diggs was absolutely vindicated. But I think that with Thielen, it's such a short run of being an elite receiver yeah. because of the long road he had to travel to get there. So 2016, he emerges. He's already like 26. And then you get to those two years, 2017, 2018, where he's elite. He's hurt in 2019. Very good in 2020, but he's already getting toward the end of his prime. Uh, so if he had come into the league the way that Jefferson has at 20 years old That's and cool. played like that for a long time, yep. he's a top three or four on this list. But it was only end up being brief just because of kind of uh, his age and when he really was able to emerge. But I think it's always an interesting discussion to talk about the Vikings wide receivers beyond Moss. And and some good ones, man. Can you imagine if that entire list had elite quarterbacks, too? Like, that's the other thing. Briefly, briefly elite for a year or two. I mean, Rashad for a while had Tark and and, um, you know, Culpepper in his prime for Moss. And Moss was just such a generationally great player. But, like, we're talking about guys who, you know, worked with, God bless him, Case Keenum. I mean, that, but that's the thing, right? Like, 2017, Diggs and Thielen are at their best, and they put up amazing numbers. 
but it was still Case Keenum. If it was Brett Favre in his prime, yeah, no, you're right. It would have been out of this yeah. world what they would have been able sitting to here do ice, man. offensively. Well, I think that we're sitting here talking about remember the Super Bowl team if that was if they had had a great quarterback, oh, but yeah, that's a different discussion for a different day. Judd, great to get together with you. Awesome, uh, whenever we can, and uh, as they said. Have a great summer. Yeah, you have a great summer, Great too. summer, Judd. Great seeing you, too, by the way. Great seeing you. Have a great summer.